Goldthorpe is number one. A kickstart for Australia. Gold in a world record. Now it's Donovan Bailey trying to pick up runners. Donovan Bailey is putting on the third. A perfect score, 10.0 for Nancy Cavanici, a perfect score. The first time I've never seen anyone get a over 100 years, nobody's won as many medals at the Olympic Games in any sport than this great champion, Michael Phelps. Usain Bolt, sprinting ahead, winning by daylight and setting a world record. 9.68, the wind is okay. How easy was that? It is Off the Podium, an Olympics podcast coming to you today for episode 101. Have you listened to our 100th episode? If not, stop listening to this right now and go listen to that because it was a lot of fun to do that. No, don't stop listening to today because we have an amazing interview coming your way today. We are on the cusp of the Olympic Games in Tokyo. It feels like it's been forever because it has. It's been longer than four years, but weeks away and we are so delighted today to bring you a guest who is literally getting on a plane in hours in only a couple of days to board it and go to Tokyo to compete in his second Olympic Games in the sport of fencing a sport that we have not had anyone on this show before continuing on our goal to get an athlete on every sport from every sport from each of the winter and summer games Maximilian van Haster is his name, and as you'll hear me say in just a few moments, perhaps the coolest name guest we have ever had on this show. And this is a, a great chat with Max. Takes us through everything from how he got into the sport of fencing. Teaches us a little bit more about fencing. Obviously, this is a sport that for most of our listeners in Australia and Canada, they might not be too aware of. So what the different categories, the disciplines are in the sport, what the differences are, how the scoring works and everything along those lines. It's it's very fun. It's informative. I learned a lot from uh, interviewing Max here. And just a very insightful chat takes us through his career, winning bronze in the Pan Am Games in 2019, and his hopes coming into Tokyo, a real medal prospect for Canada, a a sport that Canada has never medaled in, ever, in any Olympic Games. Neither has Australia, but difference is is that Canadians actually have athletes going to the Olympics in this sport. So they have a chance to do that in Tokyo. So without further ado, here is our chat with Tokyo Olympian Maximilian Van Haster. You're weeks away from the Tokyo Olympics, and it's very exciting to have our next guest on the show for a myriad of reasons. Not only is he the first athlete we've had on this show from the sport of fencing, he's an athlete who in a matter of days is getting on a plane to fly to Tokyo to compete in his second Olympic Games. He competed back in Rio in the foil in the fencing, and he's going to be doing the same in a couple of weeks' time. It's a pleasure to welcome, and I'm going to say this name because this is maybe the coolest named athlete we've ever had on this show, Maximilian Van Haster. Well, we're going to call him Max today. Max, welcome to the show. I'm sorry, I'm in love with your name. It's, it's an incredible name. <laughs> yeah, hi, Ben. It's, uh, it's awesome. I'm happy to be here too. 
I have to say, with a name like that, that, there was no other sport for you but fencing, right? Like, I mean, this sounds like you should be like a pirate or some sort of, you know, swashbuckler or something like that. I mean, it was it was destined that you got into this sport, surely. Yeah, I've heard that a lot. So, uh, I mean, I find it's a cool name. So, I'm happy other people find it too. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I, I told our co-host about you being on the show and straight away he said exactly that with the name. So, it was like, wow, that, that guy's got the coolest <laughs> name, I think. But fen- fencing's a, a very fascinating sport, very obviously traditional Olympic sport. It's basically been at every single Olympic Games uh, since 1896. It's kind of one of the core sports that people think about when they think about the Olympic Games. But it's a sport, I think, outside of some parts of the world, it's not often maybe talked about or kind of one that's really kind of known a lot about it. So I'm intrigued to know, Max, how, how do you get involved in the sport? I mean, was it a simple case of, look at my name, I have to do fencing, or was there more to it than that? <laughs> No, actually, uh, it is. It's more popular in uh, in Europe because of the history of fencing, kind of starting in Europe, uh, in North America. Uh, it's not very popular, um, so I kind of got into it because when I was young, I really I was very athletic. I've tried I tried many different sports. Uh, I loved all the medieval movies, medieval stories, uh, all that kind of thing. So uh, my parents found a, a club um, in the same sports center where I used to take swimming lessons. And uh, so I started there. I was, uh, I was seven years old uh, and I was hooked uh, since then. And in terms of when you first see it and you're hooked and all that sort of stuff, I mean, kind of outside of that sword play and everything like that, like when you start doing it, kind of like what, what do you look at it like? Are you thinking like, well, this is fun, like this is a little bit different to what I was thinking of? I mean, kind of when you first pick up uh, the the sword, like kind of what is, what's going through your mind and if is it living up to kind of what you were thinking it would be like? Yeah, well, I think at first I was kind of uh, maybe disappointed that it didn't, uh, it wasn't fencing like in the movies, right? So <laughs> and maybe that was the first uh, little disappointment, but I really got into the, the fighting aspect and the technical aspect. Uh, so that's kind of what uh, got me started in the sport. In, in terms of the, the terminology now, um, as I said, you're our first fencer on this show, so I, I want you to pull me up on anything that I say incorrectly or anything along those lines. I mean, uh, in, in terms, is it a sword? Is it a simple case of it's a sword that you are holding or is there more of a technical term that you use in fencing outside of sword? No, actually, so in fencing, there are three different uh, disciplines or different weapons. So I'm a foilist, so uh, I use a foil. So our sword, right. is a, we call it a foil. Uh, so the foil off the, the other one is the epée. Mm-hmm. So the, the word is epée, which is just a French word for sword. But even in English, we say epée. And then the third is saber. So they use a saber. And this is probably a question you get often asked, Max, mm-hmm. but how can you differentiate? Like, what is the difference between the epée, the foil, and the saber? So there are two main differences. So first, the target area. So in foil, uh, the target is basically the the front of the chest and the back. So the easy way to picture it is a, like a one piece bathing suit. Uh, the saber, the target area is anything above uh, the, the waistline, except the hands. And then epe, the target area is the whole body. So from head to toe, everything counts. Uh, so that's the first difference, the target area. And the second difference is how you can hit the opponent. So in foil and epe, you have to hit with the tip. So with the end of the sword, of the, the sword, let's say sword. And then in saber, you can hit with a whole blade. So on the side of the blade or the, 
or the point anything goes. It sounds like save is just for angry people that they can just hit anywhere with any part of the sword, basically. Like you just get your anger yeah. out and just swash <laughs> away. <laughs> yeah, saber is a, is like the the fastest uh, of the three weapons, and uh, there are sometimes uh, some nasty uh, slashes, I would say, in saber. <laughs> And is it, a, is it a matter of then in choosing your discipline, does it come down to, I guess, certain skill sets, like maybe you're more finessing with the tip in sort of the two categories where you use it rather than the whole bit? Or is it like what you're saying there with the speed aspect? Is it more of a case of certain athletes are suited to the more technical side of things rather than the speed side of things? Well, it, it usually uh, it comes down to sometimes just the – the, the coach at your club, so where you started, some coaches are specialized in uh, one or two of, uh, of the weapons. So obviously if uh, you start at a club where the coach is a saber coach, you're going to be a saber fencer. Um, otherwise, sometimes, uh, and that's the case for me, if the coach is uh, proficient in all three weapons, usually uh, they'd have the students start in foil because that's a, it's a good gateway uh, where you can transition after to Epe or to Sabre. Um, so that's how I started. My coach was, uh, he had all three weapons, but everybody started uh, as a foilist. And then some people decided to change. I don't remember why I stuck to foil. I don't really remember um, having the option to change, but I'm very happy with, uh, with, uh, with how it turned out. Is it, a sport where people are able to do all three or two of the three, like if, uh, if you're a certain way, or is it a case of you really do always kind of sort of focus on one of the three and that's your area of fencing? Uh, the highest level is you focus on one. Uh, obviously, the younger uh, and the, the age categories that are a bit younger, sometimes you have uh, athletes that can do like two weapons um, that – 99.9 percent of the time at the highest level you choose one because the the, the training is so different you only have a x number of hours in a week you can train so you really focus on one uh, there's really just one exception there's one italian uh who's a foil fencer who uh has multiple multiple world championship olympic world cup medals and foil and she decided she want to do saber at the same time and actually worked out incredibly well for her. She did medal at a at a World Cup in Sabre, which is unheard of. Uh, unfortunately, she didn't really pursue that way. I think her federation didn't want her, wanted her to focus really on one, especially leading up to the Olympics. But uh, other than that, just to answer the question, it's you focus on one weapon um, at the highest levels. So there's not going to be like a Michael, Michael Phelps of fencing where all of a sudden they're going to come out and win like six gold medals in the individual and the team events of each of the uh, the categories, essentially. <laughs> no, no, that's that, that won't happen, at least not in Tokyo. Maybe eventually in a couple <laughs> of years, some incredible uh, fencer will be able to do all three, but no, right now it's just uh, you focus on the one. In terms of the equipment, um, yeah, do, is, do you use the same swords in each of the categories? Like, or is, is one, like, does each of the, you know, does foil have a different sword to saber and epee, or are they kind of all the same? It's just the rules that are different. No, the weapons are different. I think for the, the casual person that's never seen fencing, they probably can't tell the difference on the on TV. But um, the foil, so what I do is, is the most, uh, is the lightest weapon, I would say. It's the most flexible. 
And then you have the epe that's a bit uh, it's stiffer, it's a bit heavier. There's a bigger uh, bell guard, which is the the what protects your hand. And then the saber uh, also has a bigger guard just to protect the hand. But uh, it's uh, it's very it's it, there are minute details that for a fencer it's very obvious, but for the the person that's never seen fencing before, it's pretty hard to distinguish. So when you're going through those junior ranks and kind of working your way up, you obviously at some point realize, well, this is the sport for me. This is what I want to kind of pursue as my career. What What's it like when it comes to sort of equipment and, and things like that? Obviously, you know, you need your foil to use, but then obviously you've got the protective gear. Is that something that when you go to this club where you start off, they've got a certain amount? Uh, do you kind of have to source it out yourself? Do you kind of have your lucky foil that you always use? I mean, kind of like, you know, how does that generally work with equipment as you're going through the ranks essentially mm-hmm. so most of the most of the clubs they uh they you can uh you, you they either they rent the equipment or they have a bunch of equipment there to use for the kids uh obviously it would, it would be very difficult for uh somebody just starting the sport at six seven eight years old to have to buy the whole equipment it'd be very costly so most clubs they they lend you some equipment uh, then obviously, as time goes by, you start buying. I think my first piece of equipment was a glove, uh, just because. I mean, it's you don't want to use the the sweaty glove that somebody else just used, right? <laughs> so the glove was the the first equipment I got, then the mask, uh, and then slowly you you buy more and more equipment. Uh, then you ask about lucky foil. So uh, when we go to competitions, we always have between four or five or six foils just because uh electrical things break uh things don't work it's very frustrating but it's part of the sport um but you we always try to have them uh uh be as similar uh off let's say off six foils we want them to be the same obviously it never works out perfectly so there's always the one foil that just feels better uh, and you hope that that one lasts the whole event and the whole competition I, I can imagine it's fun transporting them then when you do go to competitions that you're just basically carrying a, you know, a bag full of weapons, essentially. I mean, is that uh, you need to call up like Air Canada and get like special dispensation or do you just pretend they're hockey sticks or something like that? I usually just say it's a golf bag because it's basically the same dimension as a golf bag. Uh, most of the time, uh, I don't have to, sometimes we have to pay extra. It depends on like the airline, but most of the time I don't have to pay extra for the big bag. <laughs> uh usually just goes to oversize and uh, i mean the people at the airport in montreal i get to you see them over and over so they they recognize me now when i well maybe not now because it's been like a year and a half uh (laughs) we almost barely traveled but before that they would recognize me at the airport here I, I can't imagine though that like coming Olympics, you guys are probably aren't all, you know, with the, the rings emblazoned and the maple leaf and kind of like, Hey, like team Canada going to the Olympics. Like, you know, this should be a pretty smooth process right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it should be okay. I think there are not, there are probably not many people at the airport either. So it should be, uh, should be pretty smooth. Was there a point Max, when you had started this set, you did kind of go, okay, this is what I want to do. And then was there another point when you thought, okay, goal is the Olympics. This is, this is the peak of the sport. This is what I want to do. I want to go to an Olympic games in fencing. Mm-hmm. So I think one of the, actually, I just learned this like two days ago because I was at my parents, uh, parents house and we were talking about this and they told me that, so I started fencing around seven, I said, and, uh, 
a bunch of other interviews. I said I started at nine years old, which was I just lied to everybody else. <laughs> My parents just exclusive on off the podium couple... right now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and they told me also that in uh, second or third grade, uh, I, I wrote for for school. I wrote this paper saying that I want to go to the Olympics, and uh, I mean, obviously, I, I don't remember <laughs> doing that, but. Uh, that's pretty cool that so young I already knew what the Olympics were, even though my parents, uh, they're not uh, athletes. They don't watch any sports on TV. They probably, before uh, I got serious into sports, they probably didn't even know what the Olympics were. I mean, they obviously knew what it was, but they would never watch the Olympics. So it's kind of weird that uh, I kind of wanted that young to go that route. Um, and then... So just to, to follow up on your question, so around, I think, nine or 10 years old, uh, I was at the same club. There was a new coach, and he had, uh, his name is Henry Sassin, and he had uh, previously, uh, he had many Olympians uh, in fencing, and as soon as he started out um, with me and with the other fencers at the club, it was clear that his objective was to, to coach us and to bring us to the Olympics. So I think that's when it really, uh, it really became like the, the main focus. Um, and then fast forward a couple of years, uh, in my junior years, uh, there was one competition where I, it was in Poland. Uh, it was a junior world cup and I finished third. And that was the, the, my, my first big accomplishment in fencing, uh, my first big result. So that's kind of what even brought it, uh, as a more realistic goal. Uh, so I think those are the the main points that uh, brought me to where I am today. And in terms of the sport in, in Canada, sort of at the period when you were in it, um, I mean, what, what was the scene like? Was, was Canada producing many Olympians? Were there many Canadian athletes going to the Olympics in the sport of fencing? Or was it still developing to, you know, the point you are today? Kind of do you know sort of how it was going when you were sort of in those early days? I wasn't really paying attention to it when I was young. Um, I mean, now I, I learned about the history of fencing in Canada, and I think in like the '80s or early '90s, uh, there were the the level was higher. There were more Olympians, and then there was kind of a down couple of down years in the like 2000s. Um, and then let's say in Rio, I think we we were five fencers from Canada uh, that went to Rio, and now in Tokyo we're going to be 11. So obviously uh, there were a couple down years, and then uh, now it's going back up. There are many more fencers, young fencers starting off uh, in Canada and across the country, in Vancouver, in Toronto, in Montreal. Uh, so I think the level is coming back up to where, where it was in the, in the 80s or early 90s. And is there anything that's attributed to that? It's just been a case of more people have been interested in it or sort of a bit more exposure with things like the internet, being able to people see it a little bit more or things like that? Or is it just the, the Federation has sort of recruited a little bit better than they used to and maybe here you are with this, you know, quite a large team obviously going to Tokyo? I think one of the big uh, reasons for the the popularity growing, it's it's a, it's positive, but it's also, it's not all, all, always positive, but one of the big areas is, uh, the states became really good in fencing uh, these last couple of years. So the popularity grew in the states. Uh, so as a result, it also grew a bit in Canada. And one of the big things is in the states, fencing is often, uh, it's a very good sport to get a scholarship, uh, NCAA scholarship in the states. Um, 
so that kind of helped with the popularity there. A lot of athletes in Canada also uh, they use fencing as a way to, to hopefully get a scholarship in a good university in the States. So that's, I think, uh, one of the big reasons why the, pop, uh, the popularity of the sport is growing here. Is it also a case of, uh, obviously, it's a, you were talking before about how it's huge in Europe, obviously, with the French connections in somewhere like Quebec, where you're obviously from, is it, is it kind of, say, is Quebec the province where it sort of is more popular than, say, it would be in, say, a BC or, or an Alberta, just because of those French connections and how popular the sport is in a place like France? Uh, not at the moment. When I was younger, yes. When I was younger, Quebec was by far the biggest uh, province, uh, fencing-wise, in Canada. But right now, uh, Vancouver has a very big club. Many, many uh, fencers are coming out of Vancouver. Toronto is also a big uh, fencing hub, I would say. So a lot of fencers coming out of there. I think Quebec is uh, uh, the number of fencers is not uh, it's not going down, but it's not going up as much as it is in Toronto and Vancouver. So I think the, the, the balance of power, let's say, has shifted a bit more towards the other provinces. In terms of your progression then going through the ranks you were mentioning before about, uh, you know, the sort of junior championships and all that sort of stuff, you know, what, what, at what point were you thinking that, you know, this is obviously, as I was saying before, what you kind of want to do, but like this is something that when the Olympics are realistic and that you can kind of get to a point where, of course, you want to go to an Olympics, but then ultimately achieve, you know, an Olympic medal or something like that. Obviously, you, you want a medal at the Pan Am Games, and we'll talk about that shortly. But like as you're getting better, I guess, as you're progressing through the ranks, you know, is it kind of a case of look, this is something that I can progress and I can not only just represent my country on the world scale, but I can actually do quite well at this. Mm-hmm. So I think one of the big uh, aspects of that is, uh, as I said, so I had a, around nine or 10, I had a new coach. His goal was always focused on the Olympics, right? So it was kind of, I was almost brainwashed, I would say, as a young kid that <laughs> it wasn't, it, it was not an option. It was just the natural course of things. Uh, I will go to the Olympics. Uh, so I, there was never a, a doubt in my mind, really. Uh, obviously at first when you're young, you don't really think about it. It's just uh, the natural progression. And then I made the first national team in, in, uh, 2011. So I was 19 years old, just turned 19. Um, and then, so I stayed on the team. Uh, I didn't make the Olympic games in 2012. I didn't really try to make, uh, uh, to go to the Olympics just because my, my teammates were stronger than me. They had a, uh, I mean, they had more experience. So one of my teammates went to 2012 and then 2013, uh, I medaled at the Pan Am championships. Uh, I kind of became the, 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 I was not the oldest on the team, but I had the, the best starting to get the best results. Uh, so then starting in 2013, uh, I had 2016 as an objective and I kind of knew the whole way. It's, I don't want to say I knew that it was going to go, but, uh, it was, that was the only option for me. I mean, there was no option of not qualifying to 2016. So that's kind of how it all played out. What's the qualification process in for, for the Olympics? Is it a case of, uh, on the circuit, you're ranked a certain place. And then if you're in a certain ranking, you get qualification. Do you have to go through a, a regional qualification tournament? I mean, how do you get that nod to go to the Olympics? So it's a bit complicated in fencing. I don't know other sports, how it works, but in fencing, so there's obviously the individual aspect of fencing, but there's also team fencing. 
many people might not even know that you can fence and team in fencing. But that's the, the main way to qualify for the Olympics. So let's say for these Olympics in Tokyo, the men's foil team, the Canadian men's foil team qualified as a team uh, because we were, so how it works, they, there are eight teams that go. The top four in the world, so one, two, three, four, and then the best of every other continent. So one from the Americas, one from Europe, one from Asia, and one from Africa. And the U.S. are number one in the world at the moment, so they, wow. they're safe in the top four. And then the next best team in the Americas was uh, Canada. Right. So, so that kind so of that, helps. <laughs> yeah. So obviously it's a, it's a, it helps when the, well, I mean, it helps. It doesn't help also, but it's a, we, we knew going in that the, the U S were going to be in top four. So our main rivals uh, were Brazil in 2016. Unfortunately, we didn't qualify as a team. Uh, the Americans were top four. Uh, and then it was, again, it was us, against brazil and we finished tied in points at the end of the qualification year but because of the tiebreaker they finished second at the pan am championships we finished third and that was the tiebreaker so they went as a team and then i was qualified as an individual because that was the next best rank uh ranked individual in the americas uh now for tokyo uh we were in front of brazil in points so we got the second place uh for the americas and then uh, there's one Brazilian athlete that was the next best qualified individual that's going to Tokyo, but just as an individual. So with those teams then, if say, for example, the US qualifiers number one, does that then mean that each of the members of that team also qualify for the individual tournament as well? Yeah, so how it works in fencing, there are three, uh, and the, the team is three fencers plus one alternate. So... Now, uh, for the Olympics, the three that are the, the main fencer, I guess, they also fence individual and team. And then the fourth, the alternate, only is there for the team. Right. Okay. So, given that Canada as a team doesn't qualify and you get that nod, I mean, how is that feeling? I mean, obviously, you know, to qualify for an Olympics, but kind of is it almost a bit bittersweet when you obviously would have loved it that your team at the same time two qualifiers and not just yourself yeah so the, we're talking about rio so yeah i the team unfortunately didn't qualify and it was uh it was very hard um on us it, well i mean it was hard on me but even more for my teammates that didn't go at all uh we had a very strong team uh the two other uh fencers that were with me on the team had they were a bit older than me had a lot of experience went to a lot of world championships a lot of Pan American games, Pan American championships. Um, and it was unfortunate for them. Uh, the context of the whole uh, quadrennial between 2012 and 2016 uh, was a bit complicated for our men's foil team. Uh, we didn't really have a national team coach. Uh, we didn't have, everybody was, we were trying to make do training. Nobody was really planning our trainings. I had a personal coach, but we didn't have a, like a Team Canada coach. Uh, so we often went to competitions by ourselves uh, without a coach. Uh, we had some very good results. We made two top eights at World Cups, which were very good results for us. Uh, all that without a coach, which is uh, pretty remarkable. Unfortunately, things didn't turn out uh, the way we wanted to. We didn't qualify the team. It was very unfortunate. 
And then fast forward to this quad between 2016 and 2021 now. Mm-hmm. Um, our team is younger, so I'm now the, the oldest on the team. There are a couple, there are two guys that are born in 2000, which blows my mind how young they are. <laughs> <laughs> that was that was yesterday, wasn't it? Like that, that wasn't yeah, 21 yeah. years ago. <laughs> oh, it's crazy. It's uh, still, I can't wrap my head around it. Anyways, but so our team has less experience uh, at the moment, but the big difference is that now we have a national team coach uh, who who helped us a lot, who structured our training, like comes with us to competitions, to World Cups, to World Championships. Um, and we really have a better structured program. So that was the, the, the big difference why we didn't qualify in 2016 versus now in 2020, 2021. As someone with no athletic ability, Max, I always have to live through our guests on this show, uh, that Olympic experience. But I mean, you know, we always like to find out your first Olympics, how that all is. I mean, do you do you take it in? Like, you know, do you kind of get to the village and kind of realize you're here, you, you wear your uniform when you get given to it? And then, you know, even things like the opening ceremony, things like that, if you get to experience that. I mean, do you soak it all in or are you just so focused on competition that it's something that you don't really take in at the time? Uh, it's kind of a mix of both. I think um, the one big uh, wow moment I would say is when you get to the village and then the first day when you get there, you have the fitting for all the, all your clothes, all your team Canada clothes, all the gear. Uh, so that was very fun just to, to get your suitcase with all your t-shirts, your hoodies, the, the pants, all the, all the team Canada gear. Uh, after that, for the opening ceremony, I decided not to go in Rio just because uh, my competition was two days after the opening ceremony and we were told that it was, well, it was very far away from the village. It would finish very late. We would get back to the hotel very late. So I decided not to go in 2016, just to be more focused on the competition. Um, now in Tokyo, I, I'm going to go to the opening ceremony. Right. That was my next uh, question. That's good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know what the ceremony is going to look like. Uh, obviously with COVID, it's going to probably going to be a bit different. Uh, but now I have three days between the, the ceremony and my event. So I have more time to, even if I go to bed late, I have more time to recover, uh, between, uh, between the ceremony and my event. So I think my first Olympics really, I was, uh, I was more focused. I would say I didn't uh, live the whole experience. Uh, I think now in Tokyo, I'm going to try to absorb a bit more. Obviously I'm going to stay focused for my events, but I think I'm going to try to absorb a bit more of the whole uh, Olympic experience. In terms of the format, so I'm sort of looking here in terms of how Rio worked out. So you go through, you win the round of 64, then you go out in round of 32. Is mm-hmm. it the lower ranked uh, fences essentially that maybe don't make those quotas that you were talking before kind of battle it off in a round of 64 for those last qualifying spots? Because it obviously just, Judging on the bracket here, uh, you know, there's only a certain amount of round of 64s that obviously allow the fences to go into that round of 32. So is it almost like a qualifying round for you to get into the main bracket? Is that how it works? Uh, it's not. I would assume it's not considered like a qualification just because I think in Rio we're 36, so maybe 38, something like that, fencers. So it just happens that uh, if there are more than 32 fencers, they have to fight it out for a 32 for the bracket of 32. Uh, and yeah, it works in world ranking. So number one uh, will fence number 64. And if right. there's no number 64, well, he gets a, a buy to the round of 32s. So yeah, I was uh, I was lower ranked. So I did have to fence about a 64 and then I had I won that bout. 
and then uh, unfortunately lost in the round of 32s. To an American too, Max. Like that's, uh, you know, uh, it's got to be the worst person to get eliminated by, right? Like you'd rather go out by, you know, like the French or the Italians. Not an American. Come on. Yeah, well, he, he's a very good fencer. <laughs> he has many, it was Garrick Meinhardt, a lot of medals, uh, one of the best. I think he's the one of the, the pioneers of uh, American foil fencing. So, I mean, he's a very nice guy. He, he beat me. And then he he bought me a beer right after, so it's fun. <laughs> so the- <laughs> well, there's a there's a silver line, not quite a gold medal, but you know, a beer's up there. I I think. I mean, in terms of uh, yeah, the yeah, scoring, yeah. how does the scoring work? Is it is because I mean, look, I'll be honest with you. I get whenever the fen- whenever the Olympics are on, fencing is one of these sports that I always love to watch because whenever mm-hmm. there's a sport that I am not familiar with, uh, you know, it always you know fascinates me more. Like okay, swimming, great, Australia, we're going to win medals in. It. I see that all the time, yeah. but I'm never going to see fencing i don't know if australia's had fences outside of sydney when we would have had ones qualifying for the home olympics so i mean take us through a a brief overview of how you're getting these points in it is it a simple case of you hit someone on the body it's a point or is there more to it than that so in foil fencing uh there are priorities so there's always a judge and the judge is there to decide who gets the point so obviously uh, if we're fencing if uh, I touch you and you don't touch me, I get the point just because I'm the only one to hit. But if we both hit, then is the, the referee that decides who gets the hit. And uh, he decides using right-of-way. And right-of-way, basically, uh, it's very complicated. Even fencers, we don't understand it <laughs> all the time. <laughs> but if we boil it down to the simplest form, the fencer that initiates the attack first has priority. So right. if I initiate the attack first, and then we both at the same time, I get the point. Right. If the, the opponent, uh, so either you initiate the attack first or you have to defend yourself. So what we would call like a, a parry is basically a block. So if you initiate the attack first to get priority, I have to block your attack. And then if I block your attack and then we both hit together at the same time, it would be my priority since I blocked your first attack. It's- so that's the... The basics of right away. It's a sport that, like, the thing that I love about it is just that passion when all of a sudden you'll see, like, you both kind of charge at each other and then all of a sudden it's hitting you're both, like, a screaming, oh, like, you're celebrating the point and then all of a sudden mm-hmm. it kind of goes to the referee. And I mean, I, yeah. I, I want to liken it to boxing in a way, just kind of how it, it, it goes that. But it, it's, I guess it's not as, I mean, boxing's more of a timed round where it's sort of almost like there's just you guys are all eyeing each other off and then you go in for a move and then kind of it sort of stops to, I guess, get the point judged, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, in fencing, it's, uh, it goes to the, the, the direct em- elimination bouts. They go to 15 and then there are three three-minute rounds with a minute break between. So it's the first to 15 or at the end of time, whoever is leading wins the bout. So that's kind of how it works. So there are rounds, I guess, but sometimes some bouts, they go so quickly that they don't even take up the first three-minute round. So it really depends on uh, on the, the fencers. Sometimes they're, fencers, they're more aggressive than the bouts. Win or lose, they, they go by very quickly. Sometimes other fencers, they're more defensive. So they, they take the whole three, three periods. Uh, so really, it depends on the bout. 
because I, I can imagine it's very strategic that I can imagine that there are some fences who are very all out attack. I'm going to go in no matter what, or you are more defensive. I mean, is it a case of yourself, Max? Are you one way or does it just depend on the day? Your coach is saying, okay, you're up against, you know, Garrick. He's a much more offensive fencer. So you need to play defense. Like, does it depend on who you're facing? Mm-hmm. Uh, it depends a bit on how you, who you're facing, but mostly on, um, on just the, the way you naturally fence. So I'm naturally a more offensive fencer. Um, doesn't mean I'm all out attack all the time, but uh, my natural inclination is to be a more offensive fencer. Uh, most of the time in foil fencing, uh, especially in men's foil, uh, most of the, the athletes are offensive fencers just because there is, in the rules, there is a, a tendency to... to the, the attack is always usually stronger than the defense just because of how right away is called. Uh, but there are obviously some fencers that are extremely uh, good in defense, so their game is more a defensive style. But uh, personally, I prefer being an offensive fencer, and that's kind of uh, when everything goes well and my attacks are hitting, uh, that's where I feel uh, the most comfortable. What's that feeling like when you do land a, a, a nice hit and then all of a sudden, you know, you hear it? Because, I mean, there's, there's a sound, isn't there? Isn't there like the sensors that they, they, they get a sound off? So, I mean, I can kind of imagine, you you know, you're in some of these competitions, you've got the sound going off, crowd going off. Like you, you, you must be, you know, getting pumped up with the adrenaline. Yeah, obviously, the, the, the machine does make a, a beeping sound when, uh, uh, when somebody hits. So, uh, on the days where everything's going well it's obviously it feels uh, effortless everything uh some days like that everything you do just works out well even if you make mistakes you end up with a point other days uh you do everything well and you you miss or the opponent does something just a bit better than you and that's part of the sport right so uh, i think it's part of any sport that some days everything is going very well it feels awesome uh you can't make a mistake and other days well you, anything you try, everything fails and nothing goes well. And you just hope that the next time uh, it'll be, you have a better experience. <laughs> did, did you set yourself a goal for, for Rio? Was there sort of a target that you, that you gave yourself and were you satisfied with how you ended up after the Olympics? Uh, my goal, I mean, every competition I want to come back, I, I want to come back with a medal. I mean, that's always the goal. I don't like setting goals that are, even though, uh, uh, I don't like setting goals that are, let's say, top 16 or top eight, just because if you get there uh, and you achieve your goal, doesn't mean that you stop trying uh, or do you go further. I think the, the ultimate goal of all athletes, especially the Olympics, is to bring back a medal. Uh, I mean, nobody, even though finishing fourth uh, is an awesome result, nobody really remembers who came fourth, right? Mm-hmm. Everybody remembers who, uh, who had gold, silver, and bronze. So that's really the objective uh, I had in Rio and it's the objective that I'm going into Tokyo with. Uh, so now in Rio, I was not, um, I was not satisfied with my results. Uh, it was my first experience at the Olympics, my first uh, big competition. Um, so I, 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 wasn't, I wasn't happy. I was happy with the whole process of qualifying, of getting all the way there. Uh, going with my coach that was with me for so many years. The whole process of getting there was, was awesome, was a huge achievement. But the result itself at the Olympics in Rio, uh, I was not satisfied with. 
Well, in terms of the progression since Rio, I mean, obviously you, you came away with the bronze at the Pan Ams in, in 2019. Uh, you've also finished 16th at the 2018 World Championships. So, I mean, the progression, are you, are you satisfied with kind of how that has gone in the lead up to Tokyo? And, and with that sort of, how are you feeling with that idea to come away with the medal? I mean, it sounds like something you're quite confident that this is something you could achieve in a couple of weeks' time. Yeah, absolutely. I think since 2016, I'm a very different fencer from 2016. Uh, I think my game has evolved a lot. Like I said, I, I'm a more offensive fencer. And I think around in 2016, between when I was younger, uh, in those years, I had that was my only option. I was an offensive fencer. Uh, I was going to try to attack and get the point. If things weren't going well, I didn't have a plan B. Uh, now, uh, since that time, I've developed more of my defensive game. Uh, so I'm a more well-rounded fencer. So I still have the option, obviously, if I'm, uh, uh, if my attacks are hitting, I'm going to be more offensive. If that's not working, I have now the option to be a more defensive fencer. So uh, I, I've mastered my sport uh, more uh, in these last few years. Uh, my results have gotten better and most importantly, more consistent, as especially these last like two, three years, I've been more consistent. That was a big problem of mine uh, when I was younger. Now my results are more consistent. Uh, I feel like I master my, my, my craft better. So that's why I'm, I'm very confident in these uh, Olympics coming up. I'm also seeing here that at uh, the Pan Ams in the semi, you also lost to Mr. Garrick Meinhardt. I, I, I'm kind of feeling there's a bit of a rivalry going on. I mean, they bought you a beer, but I mean, God, like, come on. Like, I, I want to see this yeah. coming in a couple of weeks. Is he competing again, Garrick? Can you get some sweet revenge finally in a couple of weeks? He, he will be competing. He'll be there in the individual and team. Uh, I think, uh, I don't think he's in my bracket, at least for the beginning. So maybe uh, if we both get far, we will fence off. Uh, but yes, in 2019 at the Pan Am Games, he, he beat me in the semis. Uh, but at, in the year before, in 2018, at the Pan Am Championships, I beat him in the semis. So ah, right. I got I got one on him uh, at that competition, but he got me back in 2019. Good. All right. Well, I, I tell you what. When we're keeping an eye out, when we're doing our daily episodes during uh, Tokyo, Max, I'm going to be keeping an eye out for this guy. And I tell you one thing: if I see you guys, you know, meeting in in one of these rounds, like it's it's on. We're gonna we're gonna send all the bad luck charms to him. We can. I'll, I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll voodoo. <laughs> like you tell me. Like yeah. you tell us what you want us to do, and we will make sure that this Garrett guy. I don't like this Garrett guy. Buy you a bit. No, no, come on. No. I'll dislike <laughs> no. him for you. Uh, yeah. <laughs> to go that no, for way. Sure. Ne- ne- next time I fence him, if it's in Tokyo, if I end up fencing him, I would I would really love to beat him just to get back at him for uh, for Rio. <laughs> did Did he buy you a beer after Lima, or is that a, was that only an Olympic thing? He doesn't do it at the Pan Ams. Only Olympic thing. So I guess oh. if I beat him in Tokyo, I'm gonna have to buy him a beer. Yeah, well, you know, see how you feel though. Like, say that that Australian yeah. podcast. I said, no, no, you don't, you don't, you don't get a beer basically with that. <laughs> um, so, in terms of the brackets and everything like that, so do, do you know who you're fencing in in the first round uh, in Tokyo? Have you kind of uh, got that already, or is that still yet to be decided in the last couple of weeks? So we know uh, the the they do a coin flip for every uh, like two spots. Let's say so. One and if you're one and two in the world, you can you can. There's a coin toss to see if you're gonna stay second or we go first. So that being said, you have you kind of know who your bracket's gonna be at least for your first bout. You have uh, there are two fencers, so it's a 50-50 chance is either an American or a guy from Hong Kong that I'm gonna have to fence in my first bout. Uh, then again, uh, 
Uh, I mean, with COVID, with everything, we never know what's going to happen. If people test positive, what's going to happen? Uh, but let's say everything goes to plan. Nobody tests positive. I'm going to fence either an American or a Hong Kong fencer. Right. And do you have a preference or do you not want to tell us? Like, is this something that you would rather not, if they listen, you know, find out who you would rather take on in that first round? Uh, I don't have a preference. I mean, either way, I have to I have to beat them, whoever it is. I'm going to have to beat them. So it doesn't really matter who, uh, <laughs> who I'm going to be fencing. The other thing too, which would be amazing, and I'm not going to say if you win a medal, of course, I'm going to say when you win a medal in Tokyo in a couple mm-hmm. of weeks, Max, is that Canada's never medaled in fencing at the Olympic Games. So no. to, to, to go into that with that knowledge, uh, you know, like, I mean, that, that in itself is kind of a cool little thing that you could potentially be the first Canadian to ever medal at an Olympic Games. In fencing, I should say. Yeah, I, could. <laughs> yeah, I think in, uh, in, tw- in 2004, the women's epi team, they finished fourth. So they just lost out in the bronze medal bout, but yes, uh, with the medal, I would be the, the I would be the first Canadian uh, fencer to medal at the Olympics, unless another fencer. I mean, my event, my individual event, is the last individual event. So, I mean, I hope that somebody, uh, another Canadian before me, is going to medal, and then I could be the the second or third or fourth yeah. <laughs> Canadian exactly. to medal at the Olympics. First gold medalist, maybe. A couple of bronzes and silvers, and you get the gold. So, you know. Exactly, maybe. <laughs> it could be like the dominant, the, the Canadian dominant Olympics in fencing. You never know. That'd be awesome. That'd be awesome. I'd love it. It'd be, be very good for fencing in Canada. It'd be good for uh, the, young, uh, the young fencers here just to have role models. So hopefully we bring back uh, multiple medals. Because I can imagine that exposure that even, you know, if, any of you guys do walk away, even if it's a bronze medal, that exposure it would bring. I mean, I know here in Australia there are there are multiple sports I can think of over the years in both summer and winter Olympics that maybe have never been a focus and somebody wins a bronze medal and all of a sudden it gets that focus. And you look at, I guess, sports in Canada, like with tennis, uh, you know, when obviously you had earlier in the decade, you know, Jeannie Bouchard uh, doing quite well and obviously with Bianca Andreescu winning the US Open mm-hmm. and tennis is, is skyrocketing. So it's kind of these sort of exposure points where all it takes is a, a medal at an Olympics and every single young kid is wanting to pick up a, a foil a saber an epee and uh, you know go towards a, another olympics in the future yeah i think that's really the the objective i mean personally i want to i want to medal just for myself just for all the, <laughs> the work i've done throughout the years but on a bigger and bigger picture obviously it does uh, it brings a lot of uh, attention to fencing in canada uh, to the different clubs um and it's always it's good for every level, right? For the recreational fencer all the way up to the national team members. Just if there's more exposure in the country, there's more people starting, there's going to be more funding, more money. Um, so across the board, it's going to be a, it would be a very positive thing for uh, Canadian fencing to bring back uh, a medal or multiple medals. For anybody who, who wants to get into fencing, I mean, kind of what... When you're training, Max, like, is it is it a more of a cardio based sport? Is it more of a weight? Is there a balance kind of like what what is your training regime like to keep you fencing ready ahead of an Olympic Games? Mm-hmm. Uh, so it, again, it depends on the weapons, just because there are subtle differences. But let's stick to foil. So foil fencing is very uh, is very interval based uh, sport, I would say. So the the points would last anywhere between one second. It could be all the way to like 20, 25 seconds in the longest, uh, longest hits, longest exchanges. Uh, so it's very explosive, but at the same time, you have to have a good aerobic system. 
just to be able to to maintain that intensity throughout the bout and also throughout the day because you have multiple bouts on the same day. Uh, so yeah, so it's a very it's a it's an endurance but also very explosive. So it's a good mix. I would say it's very similar uh, probably to the the energy demands of let's say badminton or tennis, uh, just because tennis has a a lot of you have a lot of sprinting but also a couple of seconds or minutes to recover between hits so that's a kind of what it would look like um on a energetic point of view do you have like a a training regime between now and tokyo obviously you're leaving in a couple of days but is it sort of a case of now the coaches are saying all right you need to focus on this or is it something that kind of it's just your standard training regime that you would constantly be doing during a regular fencing season uh, on the months, a uh, couple like the last month or last three months, I would say we had a very uh, high volume of fencing. So we would we would fence very long. Uh, we had very long training sessions with a lot of footwork, a lot of bouts. Uh, now coming up to the games, we we decrease the volume. I really focus on the the quality of the training. Uh, we're very close to the event, so the we're not going to make huge leaps and bounds between now and the and a couple of weeks leading up to the games. So it's just to maintain our form, uh, to stay sharp. Uh, as you say, we're leaving uh, now. It's, we're, we're Tuesday. We're leaving on Saturday, so the 10th. We're going to, to Japan a couple of days earlier. Just to have, We have a 10-day training camp before going to the Athletes Village. So I think it's just going to be uh, uh, the last push just to, to sharpen the skills and to be ready physically, but also mentally for our events and i can imagine that at this period you know a couple of weeks from the games everything you're mentioning there you know it's standard and you've done olympics before so you've kind of been through this but i mean the difference mm-hmm. with this one is you have to wait an extra year to do this obviously like it's yeah. kind of should have been doing this 12 months ago i mean how did did that hamper much sort of in in the lead up to the games i mean did it give you more opportunity to do more of this training to feel that you're better and more prepared i mean kind of how was that delay for you so it was it was interesting uh so the, the first aspect of that was, so obviously in, in March 2020, that's when everything kind of shut down. Everything was put on hold. We didn't know what was going to happen with the Olympics. And before the Olympics were officially postponed, um, Canada was like the first, uh, at least the first big country to announce that they were not going to send athletes to the Olympics. And uh, that was before that before the Olympics were actually postponed. So... Obviously, I was not pleased with that decision just because it meant that if the Olympics were not postponed, we wouldn't be going, right? Uh, thankfully, uh, the Olympics were postponed, so uh, we, we were not going to miss the Olympics. And then, so fast forward, we had the extra year. I know for some athletes, it was very difficult um, just to have that extra year of uncertainty, uh, it's, I think especially for some of the older athletes that had plans to retire right after the Olympics and uh, go back to school, start a career, start a family. I think that was it was very difficult for them. Um, for me, I tried to. I'm I'm not I'm not 18 anymore. I'm not very young, but I'm not old either in the sport of fencing. So the extra year wasn't gonna. Uh, it wasn't an extra year of wear and tear on my body. Uh, some athletes are if you're mid 30s maybe the extra year can make a difference for me it, it wouldn't make a difference on the physical side of it uh, and I really tried to, to 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 see it as a year an extra year of training another year uh, to get better 
I've seen a steady progression across the across the last couple of years in my level of fencing. So the extra year will only make me a better fencer. So I try to to just to to, to stay positive about the whole process. And I know, I, I mean, again, we're two weeks away from Tokyo. You're going to come back as a, a gold medalist from this max, of course. And I realize I'm looking way mm-hmm. ahead into the future. But I mean, is this something that you go into uh, as soon as this is over, call eyes to Paris in 2024? Is it something you make your mind up afterwards? I mean, kind of, you know, what's that mindset about this potentially being a second of multiple more Olympics or this could be your last Olympics? Yeah, well, I think uh, it's, it's, it's a bit different than... Rio in Rio, I knew there was no question that I was going to continue fencing after Rio. Now I'm in Tokyo. I'm a bit older. I would love to go uh, all the way to, to Paris in 2024. I think uh, I'm still I'm 99 sure I'm going to go to, to Paris in 2024. <laughs> I mean, there's always that little. Uh, uh, I'm a bit older. I mean, there there are different things that can happen in life. Uh, so it's. It's a bit a different uh, perspective, I would say, than in Rio. But right now, I'm really focusing, trying to stay really focused on Tokyo. And then whatever happens, happens. But obviously, I would love to go all the way to 2024. Do you... Obviously, it's a different games. Obviously, with COVID, you know, spectators, foreign spectators, things like that aren't really allowed. But are you allowed to bring family with you? Is like, does Team Canada allow this, or is this kind of restricted? I mean, do you, will you have any of your family or friends able to come and watch you live? Uh, initially, uh, my parents, my brother, my girlfriend were supposed to come uh, to Tokyo. Unfortunately, uh, now they're not allowed to. Uh, I think nobody there. There are no family, friends, or uh, or anybody really can go to, to Tokyo other than the athletes and the coaches and personnel. I saw recently, I think uh, uh, they, they just announced that the, the female athletes that were uh, that had a young child could bring the young child. So that's awesome. Um, but for me, no, unfortunately, no friends, family or girlfriend that can come to Tokyo. So that then I can imagine he's working out the time differences. So, I mean, have you, have you already worked out when your bout will be and kind of what time, like, I mean, what, what will the time difference be between Tokyo and, and Montreal essentially so they can get up and watch you? Yeah. So in, we don't have the time exactly, but it's always in the morning. So it's going to be around probably like nine or 10 AM in Tokyo time. So it's going to be uh, here in Montreal. It's going to be like 12 or 13 hours prior. So it's going to be so on the, 6, 7 p.m. That's prime time. That's good. That's good viewing. <laughs> yeah. No, I, yeah. No, I think it's going to be more later than that. Actually, it's going to be around like uh, uh, maybe like 10 p.m. or 11 p.m. Anyway, it's going to be in the night. Yeah, yeah it's, it's, it's doable. I mean, if I hopefully I win a couple bouts and then it's going to be around like two or three in the morning. But I mean, <laughs> it might be I, worth I think staying up to see it, you win. It, it, yeah. I mean, maybe it depends on how much they love yeah. you, right? Like <laughs> exactly, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it depends how much they want to see me fence or not. But I'm sure they're going to stay up uh, really late and call in sick the next day at work. <laughs> Absolutely, it should be a national holiday in in Canada the next day. I've come home with that yeah. medal. You know, come on. Yeah. I, I, I want to see it. I actually, we're going to close this out with some fun questions, but I, I feel like I can show this. Um, I, I can tell you right now, Max, if you do not win a medal, you will. You will win a medal. Mm-hmm. Uh, we actually, I have a gold already from Tokyo, which I'm happy to just ship it to you and you can just claim you're an Olympic oh, medal. Anyway. Wow. So, <laughs> you know, uh, I just, I've, the listeners can't see this right now, but I've got a nice little prop yeah. here. So um, <laughs> by, by all means, if you if you need one, we can hook you up. So awesome. I don't know if <laughs> that looks nice in the Pan Ams. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, ho- hopefully I won't need it. I'll get the real one. 
No, you'll get the real one. I have to buy them. Yeah. That's the difference between us here. Okay. So that, 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 that works. Now, uh, we like to close off our interviews, um, and this might be something that you either did in Rio or maybe you've already done for the website uh, ahead of the Games. I don't know if uh, the Canadian Olympic Committee are doing this again. Uh, they do a little segment on their website called My Name Is, and you kind of get to fill in a questionnaire. Now, is this something that you did for Rio or maybe you've already done or that you're not sort of aware of this? Because I don't know if every athlete gets given one of these and they just choose the best ones online or they only choose a select few athletes to fill these in? Uh, I'm, I'm not quite sure what you're talking about, so I guess I haven't done it. Well, this is the fun part. And I've actually I've actually pulled up here from Rio, uh, one of your teammates. Uh, now, I'm probably going to butcher his name. Joseph Polisfakis, is that how you say his name? Yeah, Polisfakis, yeah. Polisfakis. So he's filled this in. So basically, it's like a little sheet of paper that you fill in to some random questions about yourself. Uh, just kind of get to know okay. you a little bit better. So they put this on the website. Yeah. And I'm hoping they're doing this again for, for Tokyo. So you might get given one of these in a week and you're like, ah, I know what this is. I got to ask this on a <laughs> podcast. So um, the first question that it asks here is, uh, what is your favourite Olympic moment? And you're allowed to say your own, of course, but, I mean, if you've got one outside of you competing in the Olympics, just a favourite Olympic moment in general. A uh, favourite Olympic moment? I think... Uh the 2008 men's foil final. I think those were the first Olympics that I really, uh, I followed and I watched and I knew of the fencers. Uh, and it was the first time I was watching a, a men's foil Olympic final and I was amazed. So that was, that would be my, my, my Olympic moment. Great. I'll give you jo- Joseph's answer here too. So he said the 100-meter final in 2008 with the same bolt winning that. So uh, that was oh. his uh, one there. Uh, if you could choose any Olympic host city, where would it be? That's a good one. Any Olympic host city. I have to go with Montreal. Just having the Olympics at home must be uh, must be awesome. <laughs> yeah. Is, is the training facility that do you guys have it based out in the Olympic Park from from '76? I've I've been to Montreal and I've seen that it's a great facility and there's obviously still a lot of sports yeah. that kind of uh, house there. So is that where you do train? Yeah, that's where the National Training Center is uh, since uh, 2013 or 2014, somewhere around there. That's where we we're based out of. Great. It's it's yeah. It's amazing. I remember the first time I went to Montreal. I've got to go out and see where they had the Olympics, and it was yeah, it's just yeah. it's an incredible area. Uh, Joseph said Toronto, so you know, sticking with the home, home okay. cities there. That yeah. works. <laughs> uh, in your spare time, what do you most like to do? Uh, I've started road cycling a couple of years ago, um, so I have to say road cycling. I did notice on your social media a bit of our Tour de France stuff recently, so I was kind of uh, yeah, 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 thinking that, in and a, also. The Habs as well. How are you? Are you are you following the Stanley Cup? I'm sure everyone in Montreal right now is following them, aren't they? Yeah. yeah. Well, the funny thing is, I'm actually a Toronto Maple Leafs fan. Oh, so wow! I was yeah. I took a lot of heat when the the, <laughs> the Montreal Canadiens beat them in the first round. I think all my friends were very happy. I'm glad Colin's not hosting this episode with me because he's a, he's a Leafs fan too. So um, oh, yeah. you guys are missing. <laughs> I'm a Flames fan, so we didn't even make the playoffs, so I can't even comment. So. Yeah. Yeah, no, it, it was. But uh, so, does that mean you're cheering for the Habs to lose? Um. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm indifferent now. I'm indifferent. I don't really. I mean, it'd be fun to for the city if the the Canadians win. Uh, they won last night, so they're down three one now. It's going to be tough, but I mean, I'd be happy if they win. Yeah, look, I, I hate Tampa, so honestly, like, uh, <laughs> I, I would be happy if they won too. Um, Joseph said that uh, he likes to watch UFC, so um, that huh? was. 
that was his answer. There's a section here to draw a picture of yourself. If you really want to do some extra work on this, you can send one to him, but you don't have to do that. Um, <laughs> what What is the weirdest instruction a coach has ever given you? Oh, that's a tough one. The weirdest instruction a coach has given um, my So my longtime coach, I was talking about Henry, he would often say, uh, uh, just go forward and hit the opponent. So obviously it's very, it's very basic. <laughs> every time you would say that to me, I'd just be like, yeah, obviously. I mean, that's the, that's the goal. But uh, I think that would be the, the funniest uh, instruction, I would say. I'd be a bit worried if you turned around and go, oh, so that's what I'm doing wrong. Oh, there we go. Uh, Joseph says, uh, slice him in half was a uh, instruction he got given. So a bit more aggressive there, I feel. Slice him in half. Yeah, a bit, um, yeah, a bit more aggressive, yeah, yeah. Actually, just, just on the topic of, 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 of um, slicing in half, here's a very random question for you. I don't know how mm-hmm. into the James Bond films you are, but, uh, you know, I don't know if you would call back to 2002's Die Another Day with a bit of a fencing scene in that movie, if you if you know what I'm talking about at all. Yes, I, I do know. I, I, I probably, I've seen the movie maybe once or twice, but yeah. Yes, I do know what scene you're talking about. Didn't influence you at all in, like, you know, you would have been, I think, about 10 when that came out. That wasn't like, oh, yeah, James Bond's fencing. This is even better now. (laughs) No, I always actually always find it kind of uh, cringy when I see fencing (laughs) uh, in movies or in shows just because it's obviously it's not the the real thing. It's technically very, very badly done usually, but, (laughs) I mean, people that aren't fencers probably can't see the difference, so that's okay. Well, I mean, I, I believed watching Die Another Day that Madonna was a fencer. So, I, again, I don't know how realistic that is. I don't know if Madonna just shows up, you know, to a training Tuesday. There she is having a fence. So, um, you know. That would be pretty interesting, yeah. Yeah, I could I could imagine. Uh, what is your favorite workout? I have to go back to road cycling. Okay. I think that would be a, yeah, a mix of being outside and uh, going fast. So, I think that would be a, my favorite workout. So do you scout then, like, I mean, obviously, you know, it depends on, I guess, competitions and everything, but if you've got the time, do you go, okay, well, the the road race is on this day or I can go to the velodrome. Like, do you have those opportunities where you can go and see some cycling sort of outside of your competition in Tokyo? Uh, I'd love to. I'd love to go see the uh, the road cycling event, both the men and the women's world cy- uh, the road cycling event. It's not quite clear if the athletes were allowed to go see other events. Uh, but either way, I'm either going to go there in person or watch it on the TV from the village. Absolutely. So, I mean, is, I guess yeah. it's still, some of this stuff's still up in the air because, like, isn't it a case that a lot of it, that once you've done your um, competition, you, you kind of have to go? Like, they don't want a lot of people hanging around. I mean, is that stuff that's still up in the air before you go? Or do you know sort of your schedule and when you can and can't go places and stuff like that? The, so the rules are... We're allowed to be to, to the athletes can arrive at the village uh, a maximum of five days before the, their event. And I think they have to leave uh, at a maximum of 48 hours after their last event. Wow. So for example, one of the, the Canadian, the, the men's saber fencer who qualified, his competition's on the 23rd. So he's arriving to the, at the village with us on the 21st. And then he has his event on the 23rd, maybe 24th. But I think 23rd. And then on the 24th, he's going back to Canada. So he'll wow. be back in Canada before I even start my first event. 
That's correct. So, you, so there's no dispensation of I want to hang around and go to the closing ceremony. It's it's stiff shit, mate. You got to go home. Yeah. So, uh, so when you're done, you go home. <laughs> wow. Wow. So does that then mean that based on that? So I'm just looking at the fencing schedule. So no fences will be in the closing ceremony. It all finishes uh, multiple days. So you you don't get a closing ceremony no matter what. <laughs> no. No. I think the men's for the team events, the last fencing event. And we are competitors on the first. So on the second, uh, we're on the plane coming home. Wow. Wow. Did you do the yeah. closing in, in Rio? Did you at least do the closing ceremony? No, I didn't do it in Rio uh, because we were at the beginning of the, the fencing event. As I said, it was like two days after the opening ceremony. And I stayed uh, after my event, like in nine, I think nine days, uh, just to, to live the whole experience but i didn't stay all the way until the end until the closing ceremony so you at least got to experience like you had that like sort of little experience Did you just eat yeah. mcdonald's for those nine days and you're not you're not training anymore you just get all the free maccas basically in the in the village <laughs> yeah actually I, I never went to the mcdonald's in rio just because the lineup was always crazy so it was always like <laughs> multiple hours to wait for a big mac so i would just go to the regular cafeteria that if it's uh, if it's doable in in tokyo i might have a go to the the free mcdonald's uh well speaking of of big macs and and food in general yeah. uh, what is your favorite sandwich favorite sandwich well, mm. a, um a good grilled cheese sandwich i would say that's a good choice that's a very yeah. good choice uh joseph's put grilled chicken um and his favorite workout was sled push by the way um, there's you, draw a Canadian animal again. Do your homework later if you want. Uh, if you could have a superpower, what would it be? Uh, to slow down time. Yes, I think that'd be very, very good for fencing. If you could yeah. slow down time, it'd be a very good, uh, crazy good advantage. I think so, yeah. It was kind of like uh, what in Spider-Man, how he's got that sense and sort of everything kind of slows down for him almost. So you'd kind of have that sense and, yeah, hey, that, that works. Uh, Joseph wants to predict the future. So, you know, you can use them together. Uh, no, what is pretty good too. Yeah, that, that works. Uh, the best, what is the best candy? Your favorite candy? Favorite candy? Um, I really like chocolate. So let's go with a chocolate bar, maybe like a coffee crisp. Oh, yep. Yep. I yep. had plenty of those when I was in Canada. They're quite nice. Yeah. <laughs> good choice. Good choice. Um, Joseph said anything sour, by the way. I like how they're so Ooh. different here. Like, it's kind of like a standard fences answer. This is this is good. Yeah. Um, you've already you, you kind of already answered this. As a kid, your favorite sports team, and I'm guessing it, it was the Leafs or still is the Leafs, of course. So Yeah, yeah, still is. It was and still is the Leafs. Is that now? What? Why is that? Like, if you grow up in Montreal and you end up going for Toronto, I mean, how does that happen? So, uh, yeah, a lot of people think it's just to, to to spite people, but that's not the case. <laughs> the reason why I like the Leafs is just because I started watching hockey with my my cousins. They were a bit older, so I always I thought they were so cool. I wanted to do everything like them, and they are from Ontario, so they were cheering. Nice. They were Leafs fans. So that's how uh, I started watching hockey with them. They were cheering for the Leafs, so I started cheering for the Leafs as well. Perfect excuse. Absolutely. That works very well. Um, Joseph, Chicago Bulls. So, um, yeah, that's standard answer for, I guess, people of a certain era, really. Um, Also, (laughs) this is similar era, really. Uh, Joseph's answer for this one, but what is your favorite sports movie? Favorite sports movie? Uh, I would go with, can I go with a documentary? Of course you can, absolutely. 
the Icarus documentary is really uh, very interesting. Yeah, yeah. Um, it was. Uh, I mean, we don't have to to, to go into it really. Just <laughs> it was very interesting. <laughs> yes. No. No. I, I yes. I, I know exactly what you mean. But uh, you know, documentaries always count. There's, there's like one of my favorite sports movies, a documentary on uh yeah Formula One driver Ed and Senna, simply called Senna. Uh, you know, great great movie. If anyone hasn't seen it, um, Joseph says the Mighty Ducks. So he's very much I'm looking at these '90s answers. Really, it seems. Yeah. Here. Yeah. Yeah um draw an olympic medal we won't do that uh, if you could live anywhere in the world where would it be it'd have to be montreal i mean i've traveled to so many different places and a lot of different countries are very fun to to, to experience to, to travel to have a vacation but i've never been to a country or to a city uh that i would want to live in more than in montreal Nice, nice answer. I tell you, what, yeah. like, and then this isn't just me sucking up to the guests today. When I lived in Canada, the one place I wanted to move to was Montreal. I've been there, I think, more than any other mm-hmm. well, outside of Vancouver and Victoria. Outside of any, you know, city has been Montreal. And um, I'm a Formula One fan, so living there for the Grand Prix would also be perfect. So, um, yeah, that's, you know, that's true. Pos- positives there i can imagine though like when you go to places in europe and you're, you're competing like when you're going to places like italy and france you know these big fencing countries i mean crowds there must be incredible versus say if you're competing you know at, at a country maybe that doesn't have that i mean what, what's a stadium like for fencing in france or italy so the the only competition really where there's a crowd a big crowd like the cheers people on is in paris so we always have the the one a uh, big World Cup in Paris called the CIP. So in French is the Challenge International de Paris. And it's always in January. And that's always the, even though it's, it's, a, it's a World Cup, like all the other ones throughout the year, that's the one World Cup where all the athletes, they love going there. That's the most prestigious one, the one you want to win, the one where there's always a bunch of fans, a bunch of uh, kids going there to, to watch fencing and to cheer. Uh, so I think even it's, it's there. There are more spectators there than even at a world championships. Uh, obviously, Olympic games. They maybe in Tokyo they won't. But let's say Rio, there were more spectators than the the, the Paris World Cup. But in a regular year, the the Paris World Cup. Uh, that's the the big one uh, where all the, the the fans are there cheering. It's a it's incredible energy, and it it, it just it, it must be incredible to just to have that every. Every time you go out, let, let's say like hockey players in the NHL here in Montreal, every time they, they step on the, onto the ice, they have the fans cheering everything. So I think that's a, if it could be like in Paris at every other World Cup, it would be, a, it'd be awesome. I would love it. Even more reason to go on for, for four or well, three more years for, for Paris 2024. I can't imagine, like, I'm, I mean, I'm assuming they would use the same venue mm-hmm. maybe, I guess. And like, I mean, you would have that kind of energy, but at an Olympic Games instead. Yeah, it would be it'd be awesome. It'd be very, uh, it'd be a very. Uh, I think it'd be a very nice Olympics in twenty twenty four. Well, the last question to close it out, Max. When you were little, what did you always think? That's a very open ended question, but I like it. It's deep and meaningful. What did I always think? Yeah. So think, I'll give you an example. Uh, Joseph says, yeah. "I would never grow up." That's what he said. <laughs> oh, that's it. All I was thinking about was sports. I think all I would, I'd, I had a basketball net outside. I had a hockey net outside. Uh, I would see it was a fencing. I had swimming lessons. So I think all the, anytime I wasn't in school, I was just thinking of sports and trying to watching sports on TV or playing outside, doing different sports. So uh, I think always thinking about sports. Nothing wrong with that. 
I've uh, been yeah. doing that my entire life too, Max. So uh, yeah, <laughs> it's kind of there. Max, it's, it's really been a huge pleasure to chat with you today, particularly given we are weeks away from uh, you competing at an Olympic Games and days away from you getting on a plane in Tokyo. Uh, obviously, we're going to wish you the best of luck. We're not going to say if you win a medal, when you win a medal, you're going to yes. do it proud. You know, it's going to be a glory gold Games for Canada in fencing. It's going to break so many records. But uh, best of luck for Tokyo, and uh, we'll get you back on in the future, and you can talk to us about uh, winning double gold in in both the uh, the team and the uh, individual foil. Yes, that would be awesome. Anyway, it was it was a pleasure being here. It's, it was very fun. Thank you very much. And a massive, massive pleasure to speak to Max and uh, obviously so close to an Olympic Games, weeks away to uh, to allow us this time to, to chat to us. And uh, obviously we, we thank him for his time and we also uh, want to take the opportunity to thank uh, the great folks over at uh, Fencing Canada too for allowing us access to their athletes so close to an Olympic Games. And on that note... We may have some more in the lead up too, so uh, stay tuned to our social media because we are two weeks, two and a bit weeks away from the Tokyo Olympics. Can you believe it? I joked at the very beginning of this episode about our 100th episode that we did put up for you last week. If you haven't listened to it, it's a great little refresher of our last uh, 49 or so episodes between episode 50 and and 100. Of course, we had a little best of clip show back on episode 50 as well. But if you want a bit of a refresher of how we cover the Pyeongchang Olympics and some of the great big name guests we've had on between that and our 100th episode, it's a great little time there for that. But right now, though, focused after you've listened to that, after you listen to this interview, as I said, we've got plenty of more stuff to come in the lead up to the Tokyo Games. A few more interviews lined up for you, so stay tuned for that. And we will have a massive preview edition of the Tokyo Olympics. We did that back, our very first ever episode, way back in 2016, of course, was a bit of a preview episode ahead of the Rio Olympics. We did the same for Pyeongchang as well. But uh, this will be our most in-depth preview episode, I feel, that we will do. We will talk about uh, the hopes of both Canada and Australia going into the Olympics, our real medal prospects, take a look at some of the things to look forward to and uh, do it in our own little fun style that uh, I know you do enjoy here on off the podium jared and colin will join me again for that and we will have a lot of fun so look out for that a few days out from the tokyo games we'll aim to put that up in plenty of time for you to listen to it and digest it ahead of the opening ceremony and before the opening ceremony episode as well if all things go how they should be going a certain little vote will be happening on the eve of the tokyo olympics that will see australia become a three-time hosting country of the Olympic Games as it is all but certain that Brisbane will be awarded the 2032 Olympics, barring something major happening, of course. But that vote is set to go pl- go ahead uh, before the opening ceremony and night before. So if that does happen, uh, at least Jared and myself, I'm sure we can drag Colin out of bed to talk about another country getting the Olympics, but uh, we'll have a bit of a, a short sort of reaction episode about what this means to Australia, to Brisbane, and everything else in between, because obviously uh, fresh off uh, 12 months ago celebrating 20 years of Sydney 2000, uh, this will be a pretty big deal for Australia to get the nod for the third time for a Summer Olympics and also creating history. It will be the the first time that Olympics has been awarded so far away from the year itself, Uh, 11 years away from hosting an Olympic Games. So uh, just stay tuned 
for that. Should have happened. I probably jinxed it. I probably completely jinxed it. And all of a sudden, Jakarta will end up getting the Olympics or something like that, surprisingly. So if I have jinxed it, sorry, Brisbane. Um, I, I really do apologize. I, I was looking forward to having those Olympics. But in the meantime, like us on Facebook. We're also on Twitter as well. We're aiming to get an Instagram page up and running before the Olympics themselves. Stay tuned for that. We'll share that on our social media. And the best place to listen to these episodes, of course, is to subscribe to the podcast. We're on all good platforms, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, you name it, we are on there. Hit the subscribe button and you won't miss a single one of these episodes and go through the archives. Dig dig up. I, I really can't speak towards the end of this episode, apparently. Dig up all our old interviews and episodes and kill some time in the uh, couple of weeks before we get to the Tokyo Games. Maybe go back and find our old Rio episodes to really get you in the mood for the Olympic Games. But we are so excited to bring you what we are bringing you and just get excited because Tokyo is just around the corner. Big thanks again to Max for his time today and again to uh, Fencing Canada for arranging that interview. My name is Ben. This has been Off the Podium and we'll speak to you next time. Good night. Turning Japanese up, they come turning Japanese up, but the things so